So today we're going to be uh, jumping into the Lord's Prayer, which is really, uh, really exciting. Now you'll notice in, in different places in Scripture, uh, the Lord's Prayer is shared. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11, verse 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to be reading from the, uh, the ESV version. Most of the versions are the same on this, but I do know if you're reading from the New King James, you'll have a little tag on at the end uh, that I won't say out loud, but now I guess since I said that, I have to address it. So let's read it in the ESV, and then I'll tell you what I'm talking about. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when one of his disciples said to him, or, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into, into temptation. The New King James says, but deliver us from the evil one and then some additional, peop- some additional manuscripts include, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, last week I encouraged you that when the translations of the Bible vary, don't panic. For things like this, where some versions have an extra verse or extend beyond a certain point, uh, people weren't just making it up and adding whatever they want. There's a, there's a historical reason for it. It means that they were, they've looked at the manuscripts and they've gone back and they've said, okay, so these manuscripts have it and I'm going to include it because better to include it than not to include it. And then somebody else goes, uh, I'm looking at the same manuscripts you're looking at, but I'm not going to include it because I don't see it on this one and this one. And I think that those two are less important than this one or more important than this one. You with me? And so we don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to panic when there are differences in the Bible. And some people would love to accuse the Bible of not being accurate because it's been changed by man over the years and, and it's been modified and everything else. But like I said, I love about the Bible that we admit these things right in the very beginning. We put asterisks in there and we're like, some manuscripts include because we're not trying to hide something. And when people change a word, the Bible's been translated into tons and tons of languages over the years, but we're all going back to the original source. So when somebody says, well, the Bible's been translated so many times we can't trust it, it's because they imagine a game of telephone. They think somebody over here said, you know, one thing, and then it turns into something else, like the the elephant is red. And then somebody else said the elephant is blue. And then somebody else is like, the elephant's blue. Well, I don't like elephants. Let's say it's a moose. The moose is blue. And then somebody else is like, I don't like the direct, whatever that is, the word the. What's the word the? The article. I don't like the article V. Let's change it to A and leave it a little bit more generic so we don't keep it to one specific moose. It could be just any moose. And so now we end up with A moose is blue. And this is what a lot of people think when they're accusing the Bible of being translated so many different ways over all the years, right? And have you heard that argument? Oh, it's been translated so many times we can't possibly trust it. Well, here's the good news. We're not translating it that way. That wouldn't be a translation. That'd be a guesstimation. Right? Well, not even a guesstimation. It's a lie-tomation. <laughs> so, so, but what we're doing is we, we look back at the, the original sources. We look back at the original manuscripts. And anything that's a translation looks at the trans- transcripts. So you can be confident to know that, you know, it's not just being... We didn't just look at the King James and put it in modern English. 
Right? That's not how you ended up with the English Standard Version or the New American Standard Version. They didn't look at King James and go, I don't like the these and thous. Let's just change them to use and the, you know. That's, that's not what happened. And so don't let anybody trick you in their Facebook post. <laughs> right? Because that's where you're going to see it mostly or at the water cooler. Well, it's been translated so many times I can't trust it. And it's like, we, that's not how it works. We didn't just take it from German and put it in English. Okay, so that's just something that's uh, really important for us to understand about the Bible. Um, and we can, be, we can be confident in the Word of God um, for that reason. So what we see is the disciples, Jesus was praying in, in a, I love how it's kind of like he was praying in a certain place. <laughs> what place was that? I don't know. Um, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I wondered what they saw in Jesus' prayer that made them realize that they needed to learn how to pray. He was doing something different in his prayer. Something about the way that he was approaching the Father was distinct from the way that they would have approached the Father. And they realized that something was askew. It's like, that's not how I would approach God. Jesus, teach us, teach us how to do this thing that you're doing. John taught his disciples, and we're seeing you do this thing. Teach us how we should pray. The idea of being a disciple is that you are, you are a learner. You're a student of the one that you're following. And so you want to take on the values, the ideas, the priorities of the person that you're following. In our case, we're all disciples of Jesus and we're following that. And so as disciples of Jesus in today's context, what we're looking for is other people who are serving Jesus so that we can learn about the nature and the character of Jesus through people. And, and it's like, I see the character of Christ in J.C. Sherrod. Teach me how to do this because I see Jesus when you do that. When, when, um, when Keith Temple is, is teaching on, on, on treasuring the gospel or something like that, it's like, teach me how to treasure the gospel. Because I see something of the heart of God. When you talk about God, I just, I just want more of him. I just want to be close to him. I just want that intimacy with him. So they, they saw something and how Jesus was approaching prayer that was distinct from what other people had been discipled to do, and it was distinct from what they had seen done before. They saw their master praying. And I think what they saw was a desire that Jesus had to communicate with the Father that wasn't tied to a specific need. It was just a certain place and a certain time. And Jesus was talking to his Father. There was no specific request, necessarily, not one that we see, except for the values that he's about to lay down. But you'll see that even this prayer applies to everything, so I think it was just more of a conversation. God, what would you like to see happen? Whatever it is that you want to see happen is what I want to see happen. So let's talk about that. One of the coolest questions my wife asks me from time to time is, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything that I could do better? And, and yeah, no, it's like really quiet. 
He was like, oh, that's dangerous. Did she really ask that? What's he say? How does that work? That's awkward. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I have to ask the same question because of reciprocity. <laughs> I mean, because I desire to love my wife. Yeah, we can, we can talk back or not talk back, whatever. It's funny what you choose to respond to and choose not to respond to. I enjoy that. Um, awkward turtle. Um, awkward turtle, yeah, I don't know. Sorry. It's, I'm, I'll blame the conference. But it's the coolest thing, and, and that's what I think we see in Jesus' conversation with the Father in this moment is that he's just talking to the Father to talk to the Father. And I I wonder what would change in our life if we approached God that way. Like if for no good reason at all we just started talking to him, which would be a really good reason. You're just driving down the street and you just decide to turn off the radio or turn off the podcast or turn off whatever it is and be like, God, let's talk. And I think that's what they saw. Form isn't really impressive. But power is. Intimacy is. Fellowship is. There we go. There's some alliteration. Form isn't impressive, but fellowship is. And I think what they saw in Jesus was a deep fellowship with the Father as he was going there for no specific thing. It wasn't a financial crisis. It wasn't anything else except for just to be near to him. There was no unusual reason to give praise either, at least not one that's given in the Bible, that's, that's shown to us. You know, sometimes we, we run to God when we're panicked or when we're really excited, but everything in between is just kind of quiet. But no other relationship would be very strong if that was the nature of it. You know, if I only related to my wife when I was really angry or really, really happy... That'd be a volatile, weird relationship. We'd be walking around with helmets on. (laughs) (laughs) And it would be it would be a a bad relationship. So we see Jesus just relating to the Father, and, and I think that's the kind of intimacy that we're to aspire to, and I think that's what they saw in Jesus' prayer. Now, here's the other thing, that Jesus was with his disciples, or close enough that they saw him praying, and they knew that he was praying, but, but they were far enough that they weren't quite sure what was going on. And I think Jesus doesn't invite them into his prayer life, because there's, there, is a, there is a life with God that's separate from everything else in the world. I'll tell you, I, I, I'm just using Megan a lot today because of the idea of intimacy, but there are things that I talk to God about that I can't talk to Megan about. And there are things that Megan talks to God about that she won't talk to me about. It's probably mostly me. <laughs> and I'm glad for it because he's, he's my advocate. But as we, as, we, uh, uh, as we approach God, there should be a transparency and an intimacy that we can't allow anybody else really into. And so they're like, teach us how to do this because that is amazing. And I want to be able to do that like you do because it, it is unique and distinct and, and that is enticing and exciting. And you can't just invite anybody into it. 
They say the same thing about dreams, right? You can't share your dreams with just anybody because they might just smash it. You know, God speaks something to you or you've got a promise or a hope or an expectation or a desire and you're just like, okay, okay, God, you're going to do this thing. I'm really excited about this. And then you go share it with somebody like, that's stupid. And instead of being like, you're stupid, it's like, it's like, well, maybe it's not true. Maybe God doesn't actually desire these good things for me. Maybe I shouldn't have this hope in the gospel. Maybe I shouldn't have this anticipation in what God desires to do in and through me. We see one disciple walk up and ask Jesus this question. And we have benefited from the answer for 2,000 years. One disciple saw it, thought it was important enough to raise the question, and the answer was significant that they all took note. So he saw it, and he's like, God, Jesus, help us understand how to pray. Because we want to know how you would do it. Or how you would have us do it. And this disciple's hunger to, to, talk to, G, to talk to the Father opened up a door for the other disciples and for all of us to know how to talk to the Father. And I think that we, we need to be aware of this and we need to live this way. Because God would be pleased to talk to you about any kinds of things if you would be willing to ask him. If you were to ask God, God, tell me how to think rightly about this. Teach me how to process this rightly. Teach me how to approach this righteously. Teach me, God, how to think clearly about these issues. I I believe that the Holy Spirit will do so. I believe that the Holy Spirit will inspire clarity. I believe the Holy Spirit will, will lead you to Scripture and train you and guide you. I believe that the Holy Spirit will bring people alongside of you to help you understand what God's heart is for a certain issue and what God's plan is for a certain, for a certain hope or desire or thought process. I believe that. And so it's so cool to see that this one person's questions opens up the door for us to be able to approach God the way that we do. Now, the Lord's Prayer is a tricky one, and we're going to jump into it in just a moment. But it's tricky because we've all got it memorized, like in the King James, don't we? And <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? That's how we've all got it memorized. So don't unmemorize it because it's better to have it in you than to not have it in you. But don't have it in you so much that you don't actually remember what it means. Because, you know, if guys can stand in a locker room and pray the prayer, I, like, <laughs> I was a chaplain for a, for a club football team, and they were like, we need a chaplain. It's like, yeah, cool, I'll be your chaplain. And they'd be like, we need you to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. I'm like, I don't know about that. Because you're just going to go out and you're going to cuss and swear at each other and fight each other. And you're not really, you don't really want God's will to come. <laughs> You're not really interested in his will right now at all. You want to win the game. So maybe you can pray to win the game and I'll just kind of cheer you on, you know, from the side. But, but it's like when they don't mean our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's not worship there. They mean uh, baby Jesus up in the sky, help us win this football game. That would have been a more sincere prayer than, than the Lord's Prayer in that moment. I'm not hating. I'm just saying um, that... 
You know, sometimes we do things out of routine or like a superstition or like rubbing a rabbit's foot or something. And prayer is actually supposed to be something else entirely different. It deserves more than just standard memorization. I've talked about this a lot, but, but the thing that he wanted to know was how to pray. And I, and, I, and I just, I love that that was the question. He could have said, teach us how to heal people. Right? They saw Jesus spit in mud, make a ball out of it, and stick it in a dude's eye. <laughs> they didn't say, teach me how to do that. That's what I would have asked for. Or like raising a dead person. He walked up to a tomb and, you know, this guy's been dead for a couple days with, a, with dead bodies and he's wrapped up in death cloths and he's like, hey, Lazarus, come out. And so, you know, Lazarus, you know, it's like the Pastor Brett thing, right? He, Lazarus comes out and they're like, okay, everybody unwrap him. Nobody was like, Jesus, teach us to do that. <laughs> That's what I would want to know. Like, teach me the cool tricks. Jesus, this is amazing. Teach me the cool stuff. And the cool stuff is the prayer. The cool stuff is the prayer. It's the intimacy with the Father. It's approaching the throne of grace. It's talking to Jesus. It's being close to God. And it's amazing that even, like, Jesus came so that people who were sinful and far from God could be close to God. And in this prayer, he's showing us the same thing. Jesus is saying, you want to be close to God? Approach him like this. And so he didn't do it just with his life. He did it with his words and his instruction. You want to know how to be close to God? Take on God's work. Show compassion. Show mercy. Be filled with His love and pour out His love. And so we see um, this, the Lord's Prayer. But we could also call it the Disciples' Prayer. Because He was teaching them how they should approach prayer. I'm sure that Jesus, you know, I guess, I guess it could be remarkable. Jesus could have prayed this way. My expectation is that Jesus had such close fellowship with the Father because he was the third part of the Godhead, right? The Trinity. You know, we, we want, can I tell you about the Trinity real fast? Yes. So, so the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. They're, they're co-equal, but distinct. It's, it's, through, it's, it's three persons in one, right? So, so, but we believe that, that, that all three of them are God. And, and it, we don't want to just separate, oh, well, the Holy Spirit does this, and Jesus does this, and the Father does this. We do assign certain things to it, and Scripture will point certain directions. But the bottom line for the Trinity is that, is that, the, whole, that the Bible ascribes divinity to all three of them. Right? So the, God the Father, I talked about this at the conference last night, but God the Father is, uh, is like, oh, well, let's start with God the Son, Jesus Christ, right? We love Jesus. We're like, Jesus is amazing. God the Father, we're a little bit nervous about. <laughs> Depending on what kind of house you grew up in, you're like, like, oh, I love the Father. Or, hey, the Father can just go on a business trip. And then, and then, you know, our relationship with the Father is very much shaped, I joke, but by our, by our understanding of, of 
our, our upbringing or our own experience in being fathers, but also uh, in Scripture. A lot of times we think that the Father is the mean God in the Old Testament, and Jesus is the nice God in the New Testament. I want to just let you know it's, it's all God. And, and Jesus, his job is to judge. So, like, I know, like, we've got Jesus, like, holding a lamb and everything, but he's a gangster. <laughs> Pastor Jim Critcher and I were talking. We were like, we need to do a series called Mobster God. He always gets what he wants. He does shake you down. So, so but we love Jesus. We're like, oh, with the Father. But then, but what we need to understand about the Father is that he loves us. He loves us deeply. And he doesn't withhold anything from us. And all the ways that we would accuse him are just lies from the enemy. You see, the, the, the lie about the, the fruit in the tree of the Garden of Eden. Um, you know, it's like God's like, I want you to have everything here. Just stay away from this one tree. That one tree, just stay away from it. Don't eat the fruit there. He didn't even say don't touch it. Just don't eat it. But there's everything else. And they couldn't get this thing out of their mind. Because it's like, what is he holding back from us? God doesn't want us to have good things. God doesn't want me to taste that fruit because it's the most delicious. And it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And, and they're like, he's trying to keep knowledge from us. Well, yeah, he was trying to keep the knowledge of wickedness away from us. He was trying to help us and guide us and pastor us, shepherd us into life, into health, into wholeness. And we're like, no, I'd rather take the death. Because they doubted God's goodness. They doubted God's love for them. They doubted God's, God's uh, provision for them. And all of those other trees. And then we have the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit, my most, the, 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 the scripture that I love to go to as my go-to text for the Holy Spirit being the third person of God is that Jesus says, I'm going to send you a comforter who will be with you forever. It's that word forever that's remarkable to me because God is the only one that can be anywhere forever. Your family is here for as long as they're here. Friends are here for as long as they're here, but not forever. Even a long-time relationship on earth is not forever, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us forever. He comes, he enters us, he lives among us, he dwells in us, and he stays there. Not just until death. My wedding vows are till death do us part. Because that's as long as we can do this together. But the Holy Spirit is forever because he's God. So because Jesus is God, I, I do believe that there was not, a, it, he was probably not super regimented with, with the Father. But Jesus had to break it down in some parts so that the disciples could understand how, how to approach it. Right? It's kind of like somebody who can do something naturally needs to break it down into its various parts for somebody else to be able to accomplish it. Reggie can play the, play the keyboard like a, like a champion. And I'm like, hey, teach me a song. And what he can do naturally, he'd have to break it into parts for me. 
He'd have to break it down and say, okay, well, I can do this. I can just flow in it. I can play any song that I want. If, if I can think it, it can happen. My fingers actually think is probably what he would say. And, and they're doing the work before I even understand what's happening, right? It just flows. Is that how it works for a musician? Phil? Yeah, with practice. Yeah, so with practice, it works that way. That it's just like you flow into it and you flow out of it and you can go anywhere that you want to go. Right? I'd love to do anything in life that well. But they, they flow with it. And, but to teach somebody else how to do it, you break it into its important parts so that other people can follow. And so he gives them a pattern. And he says it starts with worship and acknowledgement. Our Father who's in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Recognizing that God is in heaven and that he is wholly unlike anything else is the best way to begin to approach him. Because that'll set the rest of the conversation in context. Right? If we approach him like a friend, like, uh, you know, I, th- th- there were these just T-shirts about five years ago going around, Jesus is my homeboy. And I thought it was a really funny shirt. But it'll mess up your prayer life. If you're approaching God the Father as your homeboy. Because if he's just your homeboy, then, then he doesn't have the capacity or the ability to move heaven and earth to see his will through. Then the priorities get set. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a brave prayer. What a remarkably brave prayer. How scary is that? To say, we don't, we don't really most of the time mean it. We're like, your kingdom come. I like your kingdom. Righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. Love it. Thank you. I'll take your kingdom. But your will, God, your will, as long as it lines up with mine. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as long as I keep my job and my salary. As long as it doesn't cost me my house or my car. As long as it doesn't cost me a relationship. As long as I don't have to talk to my neighbor. Right? That your will be done, but there is no greater place than to be firmly established in the will of God. We, we, I was joking with somebody. They said there's no safer place than being in the will of God. And, and I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> There's no better place to be. Uh, And maybe from an eternal perspective, there's no safer place. But the will of God will take you to Turkey and put you on the border with Syria to reach out to refugees. The will of God will take you to the cross. The will of God has produced martyrs for thousands of years. The will of God will lead you to to leave a high-paying job to take a low-paying job. The will of God will, will cause you to go and, and, and be with people that you don't quite understand. So that the kingdom can be advanced in your life and in the lives of those around you. The will of God, when it settles down on you, will probably lead you. He told, was it Peter? He said, He's, you're going you're gonna to be led where you don't want to go. And that was going to be the will of God for him. 
And so the will of God doesn't always lead it. No, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, right? You're like, oh man, this Jesus stuff is tough. He's just going to abuse us. No, no, no. Like, the will of God is awesome. And it's amazing. I mean, with the, the gospel is that, is that he saw suffering under the weight of sin. He took the weight of sin off of you and placed it on himself so that you could walk free and light. And then he gives you his name and he makes you an heir and he places you in family and he gives you good things in this family and he gives you, he gives you a purpose, he gives you a mission, he sets you on course and then he gives you his Holy Spirit so that you can see it through. Like that's amazing. This is the most exciting and the most fulfilling life available on earth is serving the will of God. I'm just saying sometimes it's going to hurt a little bit. So we need to be honest when we approach God and that requires a humbling. Oscar said it this morning in our, in our new members class. He's like, he's like I, I've made God the king of my life. And, and then he's like, sorry, Oscar, I'm telling on you. I don't even know where you are. He's like, I mean, I still want to be the king sometimes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do it perfectly. I'm like, you and me both, bro. Right? Right? It's this battle of the will between what I want and I expect and how I would do it versus what God wants and what God expects and how he would have us do it. But we need to surrender ours to his and in that is a beautiful exchange. And then he makes this request. Give us our daily bread. And this request for, for daily bread is, is, is important and but I think one of the reasons is because of what comes next. Because we're going to need strength and sustenance and provision to do this next thing. We're going to need strength and courage and provision to forgive. And to walk in forgiveness. To receive and to walk in forgiveness takes a strength and endurance and a courage that, that you won't be able to muster up on your own. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And because our might, our collective strength, will fail at a point. Power, which means ability, will fail at a certain point. But the spirit of God, the helper who's with us forever, will fail at no point. So he says, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us, God. And, and, and we can have trust and expectation that he's going to. We've just asked for his will. And now we need the strength to see his will through. And he'll satisfy that with and by himself. And forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgiveness isn't about the other person. It's about Jesus. Forgiveness can overflow. Forgiveness is a decision to love Jesus before it's a decision to love the other person. Because it's a commitment to Jesus that I'm going to forgive you because he's forgiven me and my debt to Jesus is far greater than any debt you have for me. You with me? Do I need to try again? 
Okay, y'all were just real quiet. I was like, man, that, we could, that was really good, David. That was fantastic. Good job, pastor. You better preach. Or it's just like really awkward. And it's like, this hurts. Why are you, I've got to forgive that person. Yes, you've got to forgive that person. Yes, 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 you do. Is that why it was quiet? Was it just awkward? Somebody just be honest with me. Yes? Thank you. Okay, let's stay on the awkward for just a minute. We're going to put our thumb in it like at a chiropractor. You know, they're like, hey, does that hurt? And you're like, yeah, good. As God has forgiven our great debt and has told us to forgive others, out of love for him, we need to release others. Or we're bound up in our unforgiveness. Glenn, if I'm angry at you and I'm harboring unforgiveness, you're free, you're free to just do whatever you want to do. But I'm bound up. And my love for Jesus is going to get bound up. I would love it if, if, I would love it if we could, could separate things out. Like, as men, we love to compare just like, that's my work box, that's my life box, that's my play box, that's my fun box, that's my not fun box, right? And then it's like, okay, I'm in this box right now, this is where I'm functioning, this is where I'm living, this is how I'm thinking. I wish we could actually do that. But the reality is, they're all connected. They're all connected, and my unforgiveness of Glenn is going to affect my God box, and my job box, and my family box, and my marriage box, and everything else, because I'm allowing a little, a little, uh, a splinter of unforgiveness to stay in there. You ever had a little splinter stay in your hand for more than a couple minutes? You know, a couple days in, like, you're you're, you're sitting here, and you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I had that, and now you get this big, it's red, and it hurts, and this little tiny splinter is like taking your whole body, like you can't think about anything else, but this little tiny splinter in your hand, and you're just like trying to get, like just get the tip of this thing out, it hurts, right, and, and that's the way unforgiveness affects our soul. We think it's this little tiny splinter, but it stays there, and it agitates your, your, the fibers of your heart. It, aggra- it aggravates the, the fibers of our soul, and it, and it irritates it, and then infection comes, and then it hurts, and then it finally swells up, but it took 20 years to do it. So then um, we trust him for our life's navigation, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God has no interest in leading us into temptation. I think it, it's when we, the, the, the prayer is shaped so that we understand that, that God is going to lead us into righteousness and into good things. It's like, God, to allow, allow me to follow you everywhere that you would have me go. And keep all evil and all wickedness far from me so that I can experience the goodness of your presence. So this Lord's prayer is really about intimacy. The disciples' prayer is really about closeness with God. It's closeness with the Father. Y'all, so we've got a, we've got a challenge here. Uh, we call it five for five. And it's to help us start reading the Bible. And the idea is if you can read your Bible for five minutes, for five days this week, I believe that God will start changing your life. I believe that God will start to speak to you and you'll start to hear him. For me, when I get past the five-minute mark, 
is when I start to hear. But I think if, you, if you're in there for five minutes, you're going to want to quit at about 30 seconds. And then you're going to want to quit at about a minute 30. And then you're going to want to quit at about four minutes. But if you could stick to it for five minutes, I believe that you'll start, you'll, 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 you'll become at rest enough in about five minutes to start to hear more clarity about what God would be saying to you. And not, not like an audible, like, do this. <laughs> if you get that, cool, email me. I'm <laughs> still waiting for one. But he'll lead you by conviction and by burden. And so that's, that's my experience. So we have that challenge. And so I want to add a, a second challenge to this week's challenge. This week's five for five. I guess it's going to be 10 for five. I would love for you to go to Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 11 and go through verses one through four. And just go through these verses and, and just kind of piece by piece and acknowledge the holiness of God and revere him, right? For about a minute. And then take about a minute and ask for the kingdom of God to come into your life and for his will to be accomplished in your life and stay there for about a minute. And then ask God to give you provision and sustenance. And I think what we'll realize as we do this, one of the things we'll realize is that, my God, he's providing for me. All this stuff I've taken for granted, he's, he's already doing it. And with your next minute, ask him to touch your relationships. By, by trusting him for the forgiveness for our sins and ask him to give you the strength to forgive those who you need to forgive. Spend about a minute there. And if there are people that you need to forgive, write their names down and forgive them every, every, every single day until it stops hurting to forgive them. Right? Sometimes forgiving somebody hurts a lot. You know, when you think about them, your blood pressure goes up and you just want to cuss a little bit. I meant somebody else might want to cuss a little bit. I've, <laughs> I'm a pastor. I don't ever feel that way. I don't want to cuss, but I'll lie about it. <laughs> that we would release those who are indebted to us. And then we ask God to lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You with me? Can you do that? Yeah. So this week, five or 10 for five. Five minutes on the word and five minutes in prayer. And let's start this conversation with God and see if we can't begin to experience some of the intimacy with God that made the disciples go, I want that.